Zechariah is uh, divided up, chapters 1 through 6. We just went through the opening sermon that Zechariah preached in 520 B.C. And uh, there were some encouraging visions. You remember all those, huh? Lots of pictures. And now we come to another section, which is two chapters, chapter 7 and 8. It's a very simple narrative. There's no, like visions and hard interpretations it's a simple narrative about some men who come to jerusalem to inquire of the lord so as you remember the big theme is the king is coming and he did you remember that okay i'm sure now you're familiar with this slide you know all the participants Zechariah, Haggai are prophets, Joshua the high priest, Zerubbabel the governor. They're in leadership in the building of the temple project. The opening sermon, return to me so that I may return to you. Sounds just like Jesus when he came to the Jews. There's nothing new in the scripture. <laughs> Repent, return to Jesus. All right, return to the Lord. And then we had these encouraging visions the man on the horse, who was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and his uh, reconnaissance angels were going around the earth, and the earth was at peace. That's not good when Israel is in laying in waste and devastation. Then there were the four horns. These are the world empires that will come, and then one after the other, they cut each other down, and that was pictured in the illustrated in the vision of the four craftsmen then jesus the the angel of the lord again shows up in a vision and he is the man with the measuring line saying i am going to rebuild jerusalem so you remember all that we went through it in detail then another vision joshua the high priest he's standing before the lord satan is accusing him but the great phrases in this vision it, your sins are going to be taken away. Your iniquity is going to be forgiven. And he was given new robes. Again, your iniquity, right? It's all forgiven in one day. And when we get to chapter 12, we're going to be in that day, the very day when God will save Israel. Then we had the lampstands, which really in the olive trees, God's spirit is going to do all of this. It's not going to be by the power and the wisdom and the PowerPoint and the programs of the leadership. It's going to be by God's spirit that the nation is restored and the temple is rebuilt. And then we had the flying scroll. And you remember this, God's going to cleanse the land. It's a very common theme throughout the Old Testament, purging refining god's gonna go through the land with his law implement the curse and cleanse it part of the cleansing will be removing not just the wicked people individually but the whole wicked system remember we met mrs wicked and she's going to be thrown in a basket taken to babylon where there she will be destroyed now if you remember these themes these ideas are picked up again in Revelation because that's when it's really going to be fulfilled. Babylon will be destroyed. All right? And uh, we even have those two olive trees and lampstands show up again in Revelation. God's going to use two more men just like he used two men in the past. He'll use two men in the future to work 
among his people. Then we have the four chariots, and these are God's war chariots that are going throughout the earth. We studied these last week, and they're defeating God's enemies. You know, there's a double, the two chariots, the black and the white ones are headed toward the north, which is Babylon, Assyria, those great enemies of the Lord, and then down to Egypt, and then all over the earth, God will win. Now, one of the things you have to remember when you approach prophecy is we don't get a movie. We get snapshots. So one prophet will say, here's Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives at the end. Another prophet will say, here's Jesus coming from Edom with blood on his garments. Another prophet will say, here he is at Armageddon. Here he is in Babylon destroying them. So you have to piece it all together. So there's only so much you can see in one snapshot. So the more you know about the prophets, the more these snapshots you put in your head, and you can piece this grand coming of the Lord, not only to destroy the enemies and to cleanse the land, but to restore them. And really, it's usher in the kingdom. We sing about the kingdom too, right? He will usher in the kingdom. He will build his temple. He will rule and reign from Zion. So, those are the encouragements in the visions. And remember, there were some other things thrown in. These messianic prophecies. Remember the crown? These exiles from Babylon would build a, make a crown out of the gold and silver that they brought back from exile. And they would put it on the high priest. Oop, was there a problem with that? Do you remember? You, the priest can't be the king. But it's a symbol. The priest is Jesus. And only one person could be prophet, priest, and king. And that's the Messiah. So even in this enactment, this was not a vision. It was an enactment right in front of the people. Joshua comes forward. Zechariah puts the crown on his head. Oh, this is to let you know that the branch, the Messiah, he will come, he will rule, he will, quote, unquote, be a priest on his throne. That's part of the kingdom. Wow, this is good. And remember, don't think that prophecy is something way out and doesn't impact me. It does. This is part of the blessed hope. We rule and reign with Christ. We're going to be a part of this. And as was mentioned this morning where we were in uh, Palm Bay, eschatology, the study of last things, helps us live more godly. Because we know Jesus is coming. We want to rule and reign with him and not be ashamed, James says, at his coming. So this is, these are all things that even Jesus was telling the Gentiles in his day, look for these things. We participate in this in the end. So heaven is not just clouds and violins. It's our participation with the king ruling on the earth. He will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. Remember, in those days, they're working on the house. They're working on the temple. But Jesus said, you build it because I'm going to build it. 
And then later on, he said, the nations are going to come and build it. They're going to come and bring all the silver and gold. That's, can you imagine that day at the beginning of the millennium when the Lord is reigning and the people come with all their wealth from the nations and bring it to Jerusalem and the Lord uses it? Now that'll be the perfect government. A righteous dictator. Never been one. A righteous, benevolent leader in perfection. So this is what the Israelites are to be encouraged about as they're building this temple. He will be a priest on his throne, the prophet and the king on the throne. So these are all encouraging things. Yes, those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. So that concludes chapter 6 with these visions which also included some prophecies of the Messiah's coming, his second coming. We'll get to his first coming in one or two weeks. So now, stop. Here's a narrative. A delegation from Bethel comes to Jerusalem, all right? And there are four messages that come from one question. Should we fast? This is so interesting and, in a sense, entertaining. <laughs> As we watch those who ask a pious question squirm <laughs> and begin to sweat. So we have a four-part answer in chapter 7 and 8 to one question. So let's just go right to the question. All right, so it's in the fourth year of King Darius. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. So this is December 7th, 518. That means they've been working on the temple for two years. It's not done yet. They're halfway done with the temple. All right? And it's been two years since the first vision and the opening sermon. Now, the town of Bethel had sent these two guys, Sherezer and Regamelech, okay? And their men. And here's the key line, to seek the favor of the Lord. In other words, when you wanted an answer to a question, you went where? You went to the temple. And there you would find the prophets, the priests, and the leadership. So they are coming, and they are speaking to the priest. Now, certainly, Joshua, the high priest, would be in the crowd. If not, he would be the, the main person they would talk to. And to the prophets. Who would the prophets be? Do you remember? Haggai and Zechariah. So at least we know that... Joshua, the high priest, and Haggai and Zechariah are standing there at the temple. It's under construction, and here comes these two guys, and uh, the temple is halfway done. It's under construction. And uh, so they come from Bethel. Remember, the temple is there in Jerusalem. They're working on it. These two men and other men with them, they come down to Jerusalem. Okay? Oh, 
Oh my goodness, something went wrong with my uh, PowerPoint. <laughs> it's coming in pieces. Oh no! <laughs> Skip to the next slide. I can't believe that. It worked, it worked before. They're falling to pieces. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. Okay. It's Hangman. All right, one more. All right, so they come down. It took them a while, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. I actually went through this like three times and it worked. All right. So then these three guys, or these two guys, and they're men, and, and uh, the two prophets, and then the high priest, they all have a meeting there at the temple, okay? So here they are. Now remember, these are public events, all right? The workers and the people they brought with them and others around Jerusalem what happens when you hear there's going to be a big meeting in town? You want to go. So, this is a public event out in front of the construction site. And they come. And they say, should we weep? You get this? These are really godly guys. Are you with me? Should we weep in the fifth month and abstain? We're fasting. We're mourning. We've been putting sackcloth and ashes on. We've been doing it for all these years, 70 years while they were in Babylon. And now that they've come back, add a few more years on. Oh, we've been doing all the law. We've been fasting and obeying God. You, you see, we're so good. And everybody waits for the answer. Okay? So, Zechariah is there. And God gives him the answer. Which is interesting. The answer will not come until the end of chapter 8. <laughs> this is funny. Sad, but funny. Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, you see, everyone's there. The word got out. There's going to be a big question asked today at the temple. And all the other priests are standing around. And here comes the answer. You ready? When you have fasted and mourned, see, he adds on. He piles on. They just said, oh, we fasted. The fifth what does he do? He adds another month. He says, and the seventh months, these 70 years, they only ask about the fifth month. Should we fast the fifth month? Hey, when you fast and mourn the fifth and seventh months, <gasps> was it actually for me that you fasted? Yikes. If there was no more of the chapter, that would be enough. Do you see what just happened? God knows their heart. They're playing church. That's it. They're going through the motion. So I think we could take the liberty and make some application. Oh, God, should I go to church every Sunday like I've been doing? 
So what would the answer be? Have you come for me? Whoa. Yeah, I'm convicted. This is totally about false worship. You don't need a scholar. You don't need to know Hebrew. This is very plain. Jesus does the same thing with the Pharisees. Nothing new in the scripture. (laughs) Every generation is confronted with hypocrisy. Did you really clean the church for me? Did you really take dinner to so-and-so for me? Did you really attend prayer meeting for me? Can you, I bet you could have heard a half of a pin drop when Zechariah answered on behalf of the Lord. And the priests, you know, those pious priests. Now, I bet they were trying to find a place to hide. See, they know God knows their heart. Okay? Because they're asking half the question. Should we fast on the fifth month? Hey, you do it on the fifth and the seventh month. And you mourn. But it's fake. Look at verse 6. Continuing the answer, when you eat and drink, do you, need, do you not eat for yourselves? And do you not drink for yourselves? When you participate in communion, is it for me? I think it's fair enough to make those applications. Because it's about anything we do in worship. When you have potluck dinner, is it for me? Ay, ay, ay. Now you know why it's harder to teach this. <laughs> God, aren't you glad Jesus forgives us of our sins? He knows our hearts. And so we wrestle with this. And that's good. That's a sign of believing because you do wrestle with it. These people didn't care. So it's interesting. Just two years earlier, singing and dancing when the altar was dedicated. There's a lot of rejoicing as the bricks are going up. But then you got these pious religious leaders, and they certainly had followers, who are going around going, oh, I'm so godly. By the way, just go to Israel today. This is enacted all over the country every day. That's what's going on in Jerusalem right now with the rabbis. It's all show. So are a lot of denominations. Think of Catholicism. All the ritual. Is it really, really done for God? Yikes. Okay? Now, it's interesting. When you read history and you read the rest of the prophets, there were actually four times these people were fasting and mourning. And the Bible only alludes barely in Leviticus, it just alludes to maybe one official fast for the nation. And that was the Day of Atonement. 
There are no other fasts required in the Old Testament. And that one is just an illusion in Leviticus. But they had piled on the ceremonies. You can read them here. In July, in 586, when Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls, that was a terrible day in the history of the Jews. In the fifth month that they were asking about, the city and the temple were destroyed. You know, like we have uh, Memorial Day or D-Day, you know, these kind of things. And they, they turn these awful days into times of mourning and fasting because they thought it was for God. When godly Gedaliah was murdered by Jewish zealots back in 2 Kings, they started a fast for that. In the 10th month, the day Nebuchadnezzar first laid siege to the city. So these were, quote-unquote, holidays that they had established for fasting and mourning. And these pious guys from Bethel, they come down and they go, should we fast on the 5th month? Zechariah says, hey, on the 5th and 7th month, are you doing it for God? Verse 7, are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed to the former prophets? You guys should know better. Your fasting is a joke. And, and by the way, you know this, the Lord all throughout the Old Testament, remember he would say, quit, stop bringing your offerings because your heart's not right. Same thing. All right. You remember when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous and there were cities in the desert and in the Gev and in the Shephelah and they were inhabited? You know, remember those good old days when the forests were growing and there were cities dotting the hills and uh, Solomon's kingdom was really great, even these places where you don't normally have a lot of vegetation and cities. They were flourishing because God was blessing the country had cities everywhere, but they would not listen to the prophets. Blessing, 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 it made them harder. Now, pick up the sermon again, verse 8, or the answer, which is really not the answer to their question, should we do this? Should we fast? He's not answered them directly. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, still the same occasion, and he says, this, <laughs> they wanted a yes or no answer, but look what they get. This is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow and the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your heart, do not think evil of each other. Do you think they were looking for that answer? No way. They thought they had religiosity nailed. And God knows their heart. Does this sound like anything else we've heard? All throughout the prophets. How about James? How about Jesus? True religion is what? Taking care of the poor. Looking out for each other. 
If you really are doing it for the Lord, these are the signs that will show it. Now, you know we could stop here and preach ten sermons. There's no doubt. But it's incredible the answer they get. Should we mourn for the Lord? You're not doing it for him because you don't do these other things. Ouch. Ouch. Big time. And haven't I said enough on these Sunday nights, there's nothing new in Scripture? It's the same thing said different ways. Honor your father and your mother. You know, take care of the widow. Help your neighbor. Take care of the alien. In that case, those were who were coming into Israel to become part of the nation. Helping each other. Doing the one another's. That's true religion. Okay? Now, the works don't save in the Old Testament or the New. You got it. We know that. We have good teaching here. But these are evidences of a heart that has been circumcised, renewed, broken, restored, has the Holy Spirit, the new covenant spirit, applying these graces in our lives. So, uh, what do you think the men are doing now? Ooh. We just came and asked a simple question. But remember, they're like the Pharisees. They're doing it on the temple steps so everyone can see. Oh, should we mourn? Oh. You're not even doing what the law says. Who cares if you're mourning and fasting? Who cares if you come to church? Who cares if you do these things? You're not doing it for the Lord is the case here. And so Zechariah continues without answering their question directly. He says... But your fathers, they refused to pay attention, and they turned a stubborn shoulder, and they stopped their ears from hearing. Again, if you want to do cross-references and word searches, these kind of statements are all throughout the prophets. And it's exactly what Jesus says when he comes. They made their hearts like flint, very, very hard stones, so they could not hear the law. They don't want to hear the law, but should we go through the ceremonial ritual of fasting? Meshugana. That's crazy. Okay. They could not hear the law. They didn't want to hear it. I mean, the king... Remember, one of the last kings said, away with the law, and he burned the text. Yikes. They didn't want to hear the word of the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent to his, by his spirit. Boy, that tells you the Old Testament prophets are <laughs> inspired, right? Through the former prophets, therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Hey, people. Look around. Why are you building this temple? Why was it burned in the first place? Because you were going through the motions. Okay? And just as he called and they would not listen, so now they call and God will not listen. That is a horrible place to be in. That is a frightening statement. 
somebody that hardens their heart for so long. And then when the disaster comes, oh, God, how'd this happen? Save me. You know? Don't put it off. Don't put off a commitment to the Lord until it's too late. So God says, your fathers did this. Look around. That's why you're rebuilding the temple. But, and I scatter them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. The Assyrians came and took Samaria and the ten tribes. And then the Babylonians came and took, 70 years earlier, took um, Jerusalem and burned it. And thus the land, remember the pretty land with all the cities? Now the land had become desolate behind them so that no one went back and forth and for they made the pleasant land desolate. The good land that they were given with, what was it, uh, uh, honey, milk and honey. Now the enemies are running up and down the land and it's desolate. And, and Mark showed us that in Ezra and Nehemiah. They came back to a desolate land. And they're trying to put it all back together and obviously they didn't learn the lesson. Some did. There's always a remnant. You know that, right? This is generally for the nation as a whole. Alright? Then the word of the Lord host came saying, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. With great wrath I am jealous for her. He wants to destroy the enemies, but instead, now he's got to destroy them for his holy name's sake. He's going to bring fire on them, and it should have been on the enemy. Now, notice how fast. Are you with me? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm with me. But you have, the reason I'm trying to catch it all in one evening is you have to see the jolts. I destroyed you. And here you are working on this little temple building and you're whining. I told you, I will return to Zion, says the Lord, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. You guys come from Bethel to Jerusalem and ask a stupid question. Well, one day I'm going to be here and this city is going to be called the city of truth. Whoa. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, this is Zion, we will be called the holy mountain. Do you see what just happened? It went from here, you scoundrels, to I'm going to cleanse you, purge you, and one day I'm going to come back and this place, I'm going to rebuild it. You're building it now, but I'm going to rebuild it and I'm going to cleanse it. It's going to be called the holy mountain. Can you imagine Jesus sitting in Zion, the city of truth? Whoa, this is kingdom stuff. Did you see that, Joel? Bam. So if, if they've got eyes to see and ears to hear, they're thinking, that's what all the prophets said. Let's get to work. Not only work on the temple, but let's get to work on our hearts. Let's get our hearts fixed. Then we'll experience this kingdom stuff. 
And even when Jesus came, he's saying the same thing. They still didn't listen. So they forfeited the kingdom then. They did it in Zechariah's day. They did it in Jesus' day. And they're doing it right now. Listen to this. Ezekiel says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. Do you remember? Jesus doesn't save Israel. God does not save Israel because they deserve it. He only does it for one reason. His holy name. He promised he would. He made a covenants like the Abraham covenant, the Davidic covenant, the land covenant, you know, all these things, the new covenant. He's going to fulfill it. So he's telling them, one of these days I'm coming back, I'm going to make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant, and I will make, I will place them and multiply them. Right now their cities are devastated. As the, you know, in Ezekiel, he knows, as he's writing from Babylon, that the cities are devastated. My sanctuary will be in their midst forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and the nations will know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies Israel. Notice, 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 my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Whoa. They should know these things. Now, back to Zechariah. Notice this. Thus says the Lord. Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his cane and staff in his hand, because he's old and she's old. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the street. There wasn't any, that wasn't going on back then. When they were rebuilding, there were enemies. By the way, do you watch the news? Do you see kids playing in the street in Israel? No, there's rockets flying all over. But one day in the kingdom, people get so old. Hey, let's watch Johnny play in the street. And they could do that for a thousand years while King Jesus is on the throne. This is the kingdom. Long life, fun, security, prosperity, food. Probably hockey, too. This is the kingdom. So he's telling them, you came here and asked about, should I mourn? Oh. Could I be crude and say, <laughs> Zechariah is saying, shut up and get your heart right. And the Lord is saying, look what I am going to do for you. If they would just repent. What, what did Jesus say when he came? The kingdom's near. You want this stuff? It's right here. They rejected it. It's going to be for a later group of Jews that God saves. Thus says the Lord, continuing here, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of these people, it will be too difficult for me. There is no way this is too difficult for the Lord. That's the point. Jeremiah says it twice, you know, nothing is too hard for the Lord. You're working on this little house. I'm telling you, I'm going to do this great kingdom stuff. It's no problem. Jesus can do it like that. The Lord says, behold, I'm going to save my people. 
Did you see? Are you, are you with me? This is one dialogue. One long masterpiece from Zechariah. It's from the Lord, but through Zechariah. To shake these pious fasters into getting their hearts right because God wants to pour out these blessings on them. One day he will save them. And look at this. He will save his people from the land of the east and the north and, and from the west. They just came from Babylon. So God, again, he's telling them in a roundabout way, you, you guys, you know what? You're going to go into captivity again. <laughs> and after that, I'll bring you back from every direction. That's a hint that they're not going to be there long. I will bring them back. They will live in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. This has to wait for a later day because their hearts aren't right. By the way, he's already put a down payment on that promise. The Jews were gone for 2,000 years, and they're back in their land. Incredible. It's not an accident, brothers and sisters. Listen to this in Jeremiah. I love this verse. Jeremiah says this, chapter 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, days are coming. Remember, that's a, that's a technical term. That means out into the future. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the sons of Israel out of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their land, and I will give, uh, which I gave to their fathers. Did you catch that? One of the greatest thing in the Old Testament was what? The Exodus. All the prophets, you want to know the big mighty act of God, you always go back to the Exodus. That was the big deal. Like we go back to the cross, they would go back to the Exodus. Hey, kids, God told us when he delivered our great-great-great-great-grandfathers from Egypt. Well, one day in the future... The return from all the nations is going to make the exodus look like nothing. They won't even talk about it. When God brings all the Jews back, converts them, and they live in the land, and then they act holy because he converts them and he saves them, then the nations are going to go, whoa, the God of Israel is the one and only. Look what he did. He brought them from all over. He put them in the land, and he's the king over them. Whoa. He won't even talk about the Egypt exodus anymore. Oh, that was such a little thing. <laughs> look, what he's gonna, look what he's done for us now. He's brought us back from all the nations. That's just cool. Isaiah 11, 1. It will happen on that day. When the Lord again recovers the second time with his hand, the remnant of his people from all these countries. You think bringing them out of Egypt was something. You think a return from Babylon was something. 
Wait until he brings the Jews back from all over the world and converts them and returns and he is ruling from the temple in Jerusalem. That is big time. They'll come from all over. Back to Zechariah. So let your hands be strong, you who listen, in these days. You know, right now, in these days, you're working on the temple. Be strong. Okay? Before this, there weren't even wages, and the land was desolate, is what that goes on to say. But right now, be strong. God's given these promises, so be strong. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days. Well, he whooped up on them, didn't he? When the Assyrians came, when the Babylonians came, God whooped them. But no longer. There's going to be a day when there's peace for the seed, the vine, the, the fruit, the land will yield its produce, the heavens will drip dew. In other words, it rains and the remnant of those people will inherit all these things. So I will save you that you may become a blessing. That was the whole point all along. The Jews were to be the means by which the world would be blessed. Because when the Jews get the kingdom, the spillover is to all the nations. So don't fear. Let your hands be strong. Get back to work on the temple. Get your hearts right. This is going to happen someday. Okay. For thus says the Lord, just as I, as I purpose to do harm... Because you provoked me to wrath. Verse 15, I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to David. So therefore, you see all these promises, then do right. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth. Okay? And let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love perjury, for these things I hate. The whole justice system was all messed up in those days as it is ours. So God is telling the leaders through Zechariah, get your hearts right. You priests get everything right. You judges get everything right. You people get your hearts right. Practice the law. Trust me, God says, my branch is going to come and bring the kingdom. Then the word of the Lord came to me. That's Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord. <laughs> Watch this. Remember, they only ask about the fifth month fast. Right? The fast of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth. <laughs> Are you with me? Just picture these guys, you know, and standing on the... And the leaders and Zacharias, they've asked, well, should we keep beating ourselves on the fifth month? And Zacharias said, look, look what happened to your fathers. Don't be like them. God wants to bring the kingdom and all these wonderful blessings. The fast of the fourth and the fifth and the seventh and the tenth month, they will become what? Joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. So what are you waiting for? <coughs> Love, peace, and truth. Truth and peace. So the future 
should cause them to be godly now. Look what God wants to do. So love, truth, and peace right now. Help your neighbor. Help the widow. Help the poor. Especially in the household of God, as the New Testament would affirm. Okay? Man, this is, these are good promises. It should cause them to wake up. Now, <laughs> it just gets gooder every week, right? Thus says the Lord of hosts. By the way, it's what, 17 times in the chapter, thus says the Lord of hosts? In case you don't believe it, thus says the Lord of hosts. It will yet be that peoples will come and inhabit many cities, the inhabitants of many cities. And they will go to each other saying, let us go at once. Not next week or next year, but let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord. In other words, they want to go and learn from the Lord. And, and another person will say, I will also go with you. And many peoples and mighty nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts. Where? Where? In Jerusalem, remember? You build the house because God's going to build the house. <laughs> the Messiah is going to rule in the house. And you're going to be the head of the nations when they get converted, obviously, and purged. And not only you, there's a spillover. All the nations, the U.S., the Russia, the, you know, South Africa and Japan, they're all going to say, can I go with you to the house of the Lord so he can teach us? So here's a tip. If you're a business person, buy stock in El Al Airlines because someday everyone's going to be flying to Jerusalem to see the Lord. You think that's all? That's not as big a joke as you think. People are going to have to get there. And we'll be with ruling and reigning with Christ during these days. This is tangible kingdom stuff. People got to get in something and get to see the Lord. Oh, the bus is going. Can I jump on? In those days. You remember that? In that day, in those days. Days will come, those are the buzzwords, that means sometime out in the future, all of this is going to take place. By the way, you know the Jewish leaders were aware of these passages when Jesus came. And they still rejected him. He was doing miracles, which is kingdom stuff. You know, there'll be healing and all that in the kingdom. So, anyway, in those days, ten men from all the nations, see people with different culture dressed there from all the different nations, will grasp the garment or the coat or in these days the skinny jeans of a Jew and they will say, I make those jokes on purpose because this isn't pie in the sky. This is reality. They're going to grab a guy and they're going to say, or the lady's going to grab the other ladies and they're going to say, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Think about this. El Al Airlines comes into Tampa and people find out. They so go, hey, can I get along? Can I get a ride? To Jerusalem with you to see the Lord? 
and worship your God? That's what the Jews were supposed to be all along, a light to the nations. See, in the Great Commission now, the church goes out during this dispensation or this time period. But in the kingdom, you don't go out anymore. People come in. Let's go to Jerusalem where the Lord is sitting on his throne in the Holy of Holies in his temple that he will build. Now, we'll just finish by reading three passages that sound the same. Isaiah. By the way, this was very, very difficult to do because there are scores, scores of Old Testament passages that tell us about the same time. Isaiah 2. You, you, you're familiar with this, but now put it in the context of this kingdom. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established at the chief of mountains and will be raised up above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways. For the law will go forth from Jerusalem. Stock and L.L., I'm telling you. That sounds just like Zechariah, doesn't it? Same thing. There's nothing new in Scripture. The Lord, well, you know, I mean, there is, but you know what I'm getting at. There's so much that's just repetitive. Confirmation of what earlier prophets say. And Jesus confirms it. And John in Revelation confirms it. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for the peoples on this mountain. Whoa. That's what we just read. Your fast will be turned into feasts. Wine and choice pieces of marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all the peoples, the veil that stretch out over the nations, that, the unbelief. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord will wipe away tears from their faces. This is all the kingdom stuff. Wow. Look at this last verse here, verse 9. It will be said in that day, there it is, in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. It's kind of ironic because God was trying to save them all along. <laughs> Finally, when they get a new heart, then they go, Oh, this is the one that we were waiting on to save us. For this is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. One more, Ezekiel 37. Really, I probably could go till tomorrow morning reading, I'm not exaggerating, but reading similar passages all through the Old Testament. They begin back in Deuteronomy on what God wants to do by saving his people, Israel. Ezekiel 37. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. And the nations will know that I'm the Lord. I think we already read that one, right? Where my sanctuary is in their midst. 
Later on in Ezekiel, it says Jerusalem is where the Lord puts the soles of his feet. And everyone streams to the Messiah. Hey, we'll be there too. If you're a believer, you'll be there too. So how much more should we practice peace and mercy and compassion and love for one another and all those things to show that we're children of this kingdom? So, the last slide tonight. Let's put it in perspective. God always wanted to dwell with his people. He proved it in the tabernacle, right? He led them by day and by night, cloud of fire and a, and a, and, and a fire by night and the cloud by day. And so he was in their midst. And then Solomon built the temple, and you know in Kings when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But what happened? The prophets came along, and they said, <laughs> you guys... Are you doing it for the Lord? Remember the answer? Are you doing it for the Lord? No, they weren't. It was ritual. Matter of fact, Solomon even had idols to his wives' gods on the hill looking out the front door of the temple. So the prophets come along and say, you, you broke the law. This temple's going to burn. And the Babylonians burned it. So here we are in our text in Zechariah, two years into the building project. If they get their hearts right, this is going to work out really, really good. But the prophets are warning them. Even when you finish this little thing, <laughs> the Lord's going to come and dwell, but it won't be in your time because you're not receiving him. You're not obeying him. So... 500 years later, Herod beautifies Zerubbabel's temple. This is the temple that Jesus was familiar with. And what did Jesus say? Your guys, your heart's not with me. You're not doing this for me. You're not doing it for the Lord. So this temple's going to burn. And the Romans burned that one. Now we're living during this church age, I don't, I guess that's an okay way to say it. When God now puts his emphasis on calling out Gentiles to be part of his coming kingdom. One day, oh, it wasn't supposed to do that. It died? All right. Well, one day, I didn't do that, did I? All right. Well, you get the picture. One day the Messiah is going to come back and build his temple. And then he'll dwell in it. And when we get to chapter 12, we're going to see that he's going to convert the nation. Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's going to convert the Jews. Then they will follow him and he will be in their midst. But just like our own personal salvation... Who had to do it? God had to save us. Who's going to save Israel? God. And when he does, brothers and sisters, the nations will know once and for all who Christ is. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this incredible passage.
convicting. Help us to do everything for you, not for ourselves or for going through the motions. Help us to keep these pictures of the kingdom in our head to help us to live godly. As we see the nations as enemies of your people, we know in the end you will save them, convert them, and rule and reign here on this earth. And we get to be co-heirs with your son. That's just incredible. Just too hard to fathom. The richness of your mercies and grace. We pray all this in the soon coming Messiah's name. Jesus, amen.